reading a, uh, a literary hard-boiled uh, tri trilogy, so that's been getting inside of my brain. <laughs> Doing that while playing uh, the New York trilogy by Paul oh, Oster. Yeah. Brilliant. I, yeah, I hadn't like I, I knew that it had like this really good reputation and like lived in the same world as like Borges and Calvino and Umberto mm -hmm. Eco and all that. I love that shit. Like who doesn't? Um, like if you like to read or write books, you like that. Um, so I picked it up like a while ago, like when I was still an undergrad and I had just been hefting it around, but I hadn't really gotten to it. And then quarantine came up and I uh, was plowing through some books and I I read uh, The Outer Dark by Cormac McCarthy. Not sure if you read that one. Uh, spoiler, they're all depressed. <laughs> and then many of them died. In the Cormac McCarthy <laughs> book? Huh. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's weird. It was a real change of pace for him. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I need something completely different. This is entirely about books in New York City, and hopefully no one is... You, I'm not sure you could be as depressed as a Cormac McCarthy book. It was also a good thing to pace considering my, my run with Cormac McCarthy because I accidentally read them in like most to least depressing order. So, you know, by the time you get to the road and you're reading it, and you're like, oh, the he loves his son. That's so nice. And someone's <laughs> like, what? And it's like, yeah, it's so much happier than all the other ones. Someone loves someone else as opposed to no one doing that. Yeah. And the son probably doesn't get eaten by that family at the end. Yeah, probably, probably not. I mean, fifty-fifty. <laughs> I've been reading something, and I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about this on the show because it's a, it's a big deal book, and I mm. I've hate I hate this book more than anything I've hated probably since that Taolin book way back in the day. That Taolin um, book sucks so much ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So okay, so you know Charlie Kaufman, the screenwriter and director, whose <laughs> yeah whose movies are like really good. But like you know, Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind, oh, okay. and yeah. Adaptation, and being Malkovich. Yep, yeah. mm -hmm. exactly. Didn't yeah. he also make Synecdoche, in New York? He did, yeah. yeah and um, and a, a puppet movie called Anomalisa, which wasn't very good. He's been getting kind of steadily worse, but not like Synecdoche wasn't like a total flop. But it, compared to if other ones, it wasn't as great. And Anomalisa was kind of bad, but you know, it was kind of a weird little experimental thing, so you could forgive it. But this book, oh, oh, oh God, ah, oh, ah. Oh. So he's he's trying to write in this like two thousands, uh, David Foster Wallace, Dave Eggers, all the Jonathans kind of. F fuck that! Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It I hate that shit sucks. so fucking much. Dave yeah. Eggers is a fucking hack ass writer. I oh, yeah. I hate every book especially... I've ever read. Especially now he's uh, pivoted from being that kind of writer to just like writing airport thrillers about Google and stuff. He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I, just, I, just can't, I can't get mad. Like, it's good work if you can get it, you know? Like, oh, yeah. I would love to write some trashy airport thrillers. Oh, yeah. No, I like, like, get that bag, of course. And some of that shit is uh, fly, you know? I, and don't got to be smart, just got to be fun. I like the Da Vinci Code. That shit's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Really? Well, I mean, but, <laughs> The um the Charlie Kaufman book Ant Kind it's got mm. a really good premise. It's got a clever. It's got a fun premise where a film critic finds the only remaining frame of a ninety-hour-long film and has to recreate it from memory. Um, that wow. could, could could turn out fun. It, it's very you know 
very turn of century postmodern novel stuff, but mm -hmm. you know, it could still be fun. But then you read it and oh god damn. And plus he is he's entirely embraced uh like shitty divorce dad edgelord politics. So oh, there's okay. tons oh, yeah. of stuff about there's tons of stuff about pronouns in there. He's always doing the one joke, you know, did you just assume my gender? Um God. it's yeah, it's uh, I mean, I, I know like David <laughs> Foster Wallace. The trash takes itself out, I guess. But now I feel better that I didn't like Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. Yeah, like that movie that's, a good, was, that's a good movie. No, I didn't. I didn't fine. like. It. I, uh... Like I, I can, I can follow someone being t it. Like my thoughts about Charlie Kaufman in general are that like I, I like stuff that he does, but he strikes me very much as so. There's like there's two kinds of clever work. There's work that wants to be good and arrives at cleverness through just like working on like, oh, this seems fruitful. Oh, this seems interesting. Oh, that'll work well with this. And then you wind up with some. Then there's people who want to be clever, even if it's not good whatsoever. And he mm -hmm. always struck me as someone who like fetishized, like, I'm so clever. Look at how clever I am. I'm so much smarter than everyone around me. And it's like, bro, you're super annoying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's and absolutely a lot of that hit that. void of meaning. Like, mm. Yeah, Black Mirror. I, oh, I, yeah. it, I don't hate it. Uh, I also don't watch it. It gives me panic attacks I... sometimes. <laughs> but it's like I've read so much science fiction, short science fiction, that one Black Mirror is not as wildly original as it um, as it seems. And that's not actually inherently wrong. But the thing I was talking to my friend about this, um, and the thing that really bugs them is that Black Mirror is like, um, I mean, it's, it's edge lord. It's um, attempting to create emotions and create an effect through aesthetic and that's cool but there's no point behind that there's no there's no substance behind that um and so it, it's and and that kind of helped me understand like what bothers me about it is it's not saying anything it's just making you uncomfortable and there's value in learning how to make a, a viewer uncomfortable and like make like have like oh wow moments but there has to be not even like a propaganda point but like a a thematic point or a more or a even an aesthetic point, you know, that I just yeah. don't find, at least in the like five episodes or something that I've seen. Other people oh, have got a lot more. You're, of you're it. in, you're in good yeah. company here. I don't think <laughs> one of us are big fans of Black Mirror. No, I I, I loved um, Charlie, what's his name? He does Black Mirror. I used to love him as as a like teenager when he was writing for the Guardian doing tele television reviews. Mm -hmm. He seemed very perceptive, but now I go back and read that and just cringe. And especially with Black Mirror, I can see all his like ticks and all his. He he's getting to that point just as Charlie Kaufman did, where he has as a like middle aged, middle class, or probably upper class by now, white guy. He has nowhere to go but uh, political correctness gone mad, and yeah. he, he's getting there. You you can tell he's he's got like an element of, like traditionalism and revolt against the modern world going on in his stuff, which can sometimes turn out to be really fruitful and great and you can critique technology and the internet and stuff but then it also comes to like that kids these days bit that he <laughs> seems to be getting close to every day and like there's there's a value i think to i i rub some people the wrong way with this it's along the same lines of people that i rub the wrong way when i refer to uh certain kinds of heavy metal or death metal as like 
fucking stupid. And they're like, why would you say that about something you love? And I'm like, that's a positive. Like, sometimes I want just mm -hmm. dumb heavy metal. There's a time yeah. for very cerebral stuff. Like, like Locrian tickles my brain in a very specific kind of way. And there's a time for that. And there's other times for like, well, not Manowar because they've started talking about things they think and feel, and I did not want that. But you know, you know that kind of <laughs> like that world <laughs> where it's like this is a song about a sword. And I'm like, fuck yeah, man, <laughs> I love sword. Um, Smolder is that where it's like it's it's perfectly done, pure aesthetics. It's not, not no, it's not trying to make some. It's just and within sci-fi, there's that like that beautiful world of fake deep sci-fi. It's it's meant to appear to be deep and appear to mm -hmm. be philosophical, but it, it it isn't. But that's fine because it's the aesthetic of of faux intelligence, if that makes sense. Um, I guess yeah, I can see that like the, the top aesthetic basically, but just applied to different yeah. genres. And it's like it's technically a knock, but I think they're uh, only in the sense of saying like this isn't as deep as it thinks it is but i think that there is a a unique aesthetic that you get out of say the work of uh, like anna kavan or kobo abe or things like that where even if a theme doesn't quite line up or doesn't hold up well over time you're like well you achieved an aesthetic thing with this that say like pulp science fiction prior to this wasn't doing and you know it you know only arrived through this kind i also think a lot about how like um like borge has an essay about how he like really loves like pulpy like genre fiction and it's like we we sometimes tell mm -hmm. ourselves like it has to have this like broader more substantial meaning to be valuable and uh, like the thing we we're saying about like an airport novel it's like if you know that you're going in just for aesthetic or just for experience then you can sort of recalibrate what you're expecting to get out of it uh, I bring all that up because Black Mirror is very bad at that. Like on paper, <laughs> it lives within that world, but also it mm -hmm. sucks. Like, <laughs> like good fake deep shit is supposed to be like you're supposed to go like, "Whoa, man!" And then you know, that's Bandersnatch. I think was close to that. Um, the Black Mirror like choose your own adventure mm -hmm. movie thing. And if like if that was maybe the only Black Mirror thing, I think it would probably hold up better. But given the amount of like. So there's one episode that's shot in very dramatic black and white. And I walked into my house while my roommates at the time were watching it. And I saw it and I was like, what's this? And I'm like, oh, it's Black Mirror. And I'm like, oh, I didn't expect it to have this moody, dramatic camera work and this black and white, you know, um, not even uh, the colors weren't very saturated. So it had that rich kind of gray to it. And it was about mm -hmm. being hunted by the Boston Dynamics robot dogs because they guard an Amazon warehouse and they went there to go get one teddy bear. The whole premise that you're supposed to be thinking <laughs> that you're yeah. going there to get medicine for for like a sick kid. And then you find out that actually it was uh, for a teddy bear. At one point, the dogs are holding a knife in their mouth and another dog is holding a handgun in its mouth. Um, and it shoots the handgun that's in its mouth. <laughs> I just start fucking See, this sounds it. awesome. This sounds like right? the right kind of trash. I was sitting in the back. Fucking, dogs, that'd be cool. I was cackling. I was like, I was. All I could think about was the the uh, the Simpsons thing about dogs and bees in their mouth when they bark, they oh, shoot yeah. bees at you. <laughs> yeah. None of my housemates were very happy that I was cackling like a madman during this. They kept shooting me ugly looks, and I'm like, I'm sorry. It's stupid. It's very very lit, but it's also <laughs> super stupid.
Can we can we um, talk about? Well, first, let's say hello because this is an episode. Ah, hello. Oh, yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, I'm Gareth, and that's Landon. He's got banned from Twitter again. And um, but I'm back. Yeah, can't keep him down. That's uh, true. <laughs> and we're here with Margaret Kiljoy, uh, author Hi. of many good books, singer of many many good songs, um, hermit. Is that a, is that a, um, a person who lives alone in the woods? Uh, is, that a, is that your preferred? It's true term? during quarantine. Um, oh yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't touched a human in about three months. Yeah, same. Yeah, but and yeah, in a cabin in the woods that I built in North Carolina, which is cool. <laughs> I kind of want to do that, like, but we can't do that in the UK because everything's on top of each other and. If you try and go into the woods, someone will just walk across your cabin. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just too yeah. many people in too small an area. Yeah, but uh, in North and I'm Carolina, not, I'm not I'm sure in the middle possible. of nowhere. Like I, I live on a land project with other people, and I'm about half an hour from a city. But it's just a a rural city, and so there's you know rural areas around it. I, I live more in a rural area than like wilderness. I'm the one who decided to build my house in the woods instead of on the field where everyone else lives <laughs> still cool still really cool so Thanks. um yeah i i think like i said before we started i, I think we have a kind of obligation here to talk about uh, what's going on in minneapolis right now mm-hmm. um because it's some fuck and now, shit and now every like a lot of other places like i live just outside of dc and we were having um protests that turned uh to riots um, last night, there's certainly going to be some tonight. I have friends in Portland who, um, oh, yeah, they, they burned down their police station. Yep. yep. Uh, and Get I think in DC, there was also one. Oh no, it was Brooklyn. Brooklyn also had a uh, police precinct get burned down. Nice. Yeah. It, uh, I've been keeping track of the cars getting burned, but I'm only aware of the one as of this recording. Mm-hmm. I've only seen the one, uh, police station burned and in Minneapolis. People but... were rioting outside the white house and almost got in. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, uh, there are multiple um, uh, alternate universes where people went into the White House last night and burnt it down, and that's so. That would cool. be beautiful. That that's the stupid but lit stuff we need. Hey, the only people who've ever done that before are the British. That's true. No, Canadians. Canadians have oh, burnt down the White House. Oh, I thought it was, huh. I thought it was British. I thought it was, no, no, it's Canadians. We- Oh, okay. I, Maybe so, acting under British orders or something, but they were Canadians. Yeah. So, whoever, I'm, I'm all right with anyone who burns down the White House. <laughs> yeah, they're all yeah, good. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. just going to be good no matter what. I think North Korea could burn down the White House. That's still. Yeah, that'd, that'd, that'd be, cool. be great. Like a cop, uh, come and burn down the White House? Yeah, like, <laughs> like <laughs> I think uh, Mar- Margaret can back me up on this one. We are taught the War of 1812 in, in a completely fucking. Uh, <laughs> ass backwards away in america you're normally an yeah. adult before you find out that we lost like <laughs> i i straight up, we we aren't told that growing up it's like yeah we fought the british a second time and then uh so the civil war and you're like no there's a 50-year gap what happened and they're like no it's it's the civil war now <laughs> and then like well, i had a maryland know, license plate and it was a war of 1812 license plate um we all we all know we all know that, like, I think it was James Madison, uh, or it was James Monroe, one of the two. Um, it was Madison. Um, escaped him and Dolly escaped the White House with all the paintings of like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson for 
some reason those people were racist slave owning pieces of shit they should have burned those but and it's like you know that and you know that the white house burned down because they casually mention it but no one makes sure to go like yeah that happened because the british burned the capital of america to the ground <laughs> they went from canada and got all the way down to washington dc and then burned the white house down because <laughs> we lost that's like, Germany, like Germany when wars end is when the uh, one side's capital is burnt to the ground. I mean, in risk, that's how that always happens on mm. computer risks that have the, the capitals and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Did you know that risk has capitals now? That's dumb. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about that. kind of copy a civilization and all the other games, yeah. you know? Risk seems kind of simplistic to me now after lots of turn-based strategies you know oh yeah um, stellaris i mean damn i can't go back to risk after stellaris yeah i but, can't play I've had good moments anymore, risk, right? so that i've never had playing stellaris you know hang right. out with like because you hang out with friends in person to play risk so it has that that added bonus of um actually being the interviewing <laughs> And also, but, no one's ever gotten so angry from uh, Stellaris that they straight up, like, get up, take all the beer, and leave the house, even though they live there. I, like, Risk will do that to you. People will just take your stuff, they'll get in their car, and they'll drive away, and you'll be like, where are they going? It's like, I don't know, they didn't say anything. It's like, we should text them. It's like, you know they're not going to respond, though. My favorite moment playing Risk was in a school and we finally figured out that one person's goal was to kill my this other person. And the other person <laughs> looks at me and is like, Margaret, light my cigarette. And I, I, I lit a cigarette and he was like, now kill me. <laughs> and because he didn't want because he didn't want the other person to win and get their objective. <laughs> um, and the person who almost won his objective it was to kill him. Yeah, he he definitely screamed and I don't remember if he stormed out of the room, but uh, <laughs> that's fucking great. <laughs> We've been playing for like, I don't know, six hours or something at that point, you know? Um, so I don't blame anyone being upset. But right now we're having this, um, this really intense conflict uh, that will have changed dramatically by the time anyone hears this because it's changing dramatically probably by the, since the time I checked the mm. news this morning. Um, it's spread to a lot of cities um, and of course, the the sort of liberal processes are in overdrive, trying to uh, separate good protesters and bad protesters. Mm, and for me, one of the most beautiful things about this round of demonstrations is, at least from where I'm seeing things, it's more resilient to being split into good protester, bad protester than any other large demonstration like this that I've seen in my lifetime in the United States. Um, and I would guess that that's because in the United States, Politics are, I mean, I actually think this is probably true all over, at least the developed world, but politics are substantially more polarized than they were four or five years ago before the current rise of fascism. And so, so the, so liberals are trying to talk to the good centrists and be like, dear good centrists, don't we all care about these black people who were killed? We don't necessarily want to say it's murder, but we also know that looting is wrong and burning things is wrong and it's not the way to get your message out whereas clearly um it is a very effective way of getting one's message out whether or not it's ethical is entirely beside the point um i i personally think it tends to be um but it it clearly is a very effective method and people are realizing that and also just they're just not um 
falling for the sort of um, centrist establishment con conceptions anymore. And so that's that's actually why I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because of um, because the frontline people are not being ostracized in the same way that they usually are, at least right now that I'm seeing. And also that um, solidarity is spreading, and we have you know at least two different bus driver unions uh, in Minneapolis and New York City that are refusing to drive prisoners to jail, um, and that kind of generalizing, where basically people are able to see the the rioters as like our side, whether or not we're at the rioting. I'm not. I'm I'm complete uh, armchair for this particular thing. I'm I'm definitely sitting in my cabin in the woods because I'm afraid of a pandemic. Um, but it's, but more people are seeing those people as like our, our side, at least from where I'm standing. And that's what gives me hope. Mm. I, I really have been loving seeing how intersectional this has been becoming too. Like it's still, but still retaining the strong, like the, the fomenting leading element is still, the sentiment of black lives matter but mm -hmm. it's touching on all of these like live wire tensions that have been sitting just below the surface for some relatively recent like watching how um specifically in america um the pandemic has been handed are handled watching li like literally in front of her eyes like the yeah. richest one percent making tens of millions of dollars uh, like individually off of the back of this while other people are crushed into poverty and you know any like ostensible care act is just gutted uh by republicans and democrats both before it even reaches the floor and we're just told to you know fuck ourselves um yeah the center or uh the anxieties around you know our concentration camps for for brown bodies on south of the border for uh for immigration related reasons like we have all these like multiple tensions that have been sitting um that people are people are coming together in a way that also still doesn't like try to take it away from what they don't yeah like it's it's not i don't see people trying to co-opt it either it's just more like we've all been feeling this tension and watching a cop another police lynching um yeah it, yeah it it's mm -hmm. been this very real like silver lining to a very uh, an additionally real uh black cloud that like watching a lot of people just be fed up with um fascist abuse of oppressed people like regardless of the mechanic that brings it about yeah, I'm kind of scatterbrained because I'm I've just been watching it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that I feel like half those sentences barely made sense. But no, I mean it's been really interesting today watching, um, like because I'm obviously like five hours ahead of you guys. So I yeah. I wake so up. So you know, and it's happening five years in the future. Oh yeah, I, I know what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, tonight's going to be wild. I'm the only one who's ever made that joke before, so that's what's cool. <laughs> but um. <laughs> So I, I watch this kind of asynchronously um, mm -hmm. with you guys, but it's been interesting this afternoon seeing the, the liberal uh, blue check commentariat folks, the, the usual suspects, Joanne Reeds, those those kind of people, um, all very, very suspiciously, one might say, quickly 
um, come around to the idea of uh, all the windows were broken by uh, white uh, anarchists, um, which yeah, some probably were, whatever. And yeah. um, and basically try and uh, create this figure of the like um, out of touch uh, grad student liberal Antifa um, Molotov cocktail thrower who's like trying to stir things up, and then the police uh, get riled up, and then black people end up paying the price for it. That's been like that's the message. They've come around to that like more or less yeah. instantly. There was a it's little bit of it this morning. Years. Then, yeah. And um, yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm hoping that that message doesn't stick because you know, people actually experiencing things in these protests are going to see stuff different. And there's been I've seen some like actual normal human beings believe this stuff, uh, but I've seen it mostly from blue checks. And um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that wedge issue doesn't doesn't work. But um, I mean, tonight's when we're going to find out, like in a few hours. Um, so I'm going to have to edit this together real, really quick so it doesn't <laughs> feel uh, um, out of place. I, yeah. I mean, it'll work if, a little like, bit. Um, if, like, I'd, like, dark thought, but if, like, the National Guard opened fire and killed hundreds of people, then, um, yeah, might, might just delete this parts of the episode. But, yeah, that, like, that's reasonable. Like I but, mentioned to someone, so obviously, um, We've uh, every U.S. president has been bad, and every U.S. president has been a war criminal. Can't say that enough. There are no good presidents. They, it's not even just that they're the head of a bad thing, and so they bear responsibility for it. That can be kind of still a lazy thing. They every president has actively done several horrible things to yeah. the point where it's almost fruitless to list all of them. It's more, it's more like. Pick a name and we'll go through it. But I'm not going to list every single war crime America's done against its own people and people abroad because we you, literally there's not enough time in the fucking day. Um, <laughs> but there is there was something very Nixonian about Trump openly calling for firing upon uh, protesting civilians. Now, obviously, um, police under Clinton with the anti uh, World Trade Organization uh, protests and uh, under Bush, uh, Bush Sr. was when the LA riots happened. Uh, Obama, obviously, with occupying Black Lives Matter. Um, uh, Bush Jr. with the anti-war stuff. There have been firing on civilians with different kinds of rounds and munitions. Again, every single president. But the idea of openly calling for live ammunition to be fired at protesters and rioters. Um, I mentioned offhandedly that... Statements like that are why it's advised that leftists privately learn how to safely operate a firearm. Like, don't don't make a big to do about it. Don't like start posting on social media about all your guns and stuff like that, because drawing attention to things like that is the exact opposite of what you want. But it it's beneficial to at least at least that's the kind of reason that people cite for why it's a good skill to have. Mm. Like, even if you don't personally own a gun, even if you're not comfortable around them, there's plenty of reasons to not be comfortable around them. Plenty of very good reasons. But to just know if something happens that you at least have that skill set and getting into still like all above the table, all above the belt, you know, friendly, respectful arguments of people, but getting into arguments with some people about like, well, you know, it's, it's reckless to encourage people to, uh, 
you know, think about using a firearm against the National Guard because, you know, that's how you just get yourself killed and trying to say, like, no one's saying get a gun and start shooting at the military. That's fucking insane. Like, you will just die. Um, it's different, though, when you have a clear and present threat that they may begin firing on you. And then the question is, so you're in a scenario where the National Guard is opening fire on you. What do you do then in that scenario? Because obviously, ideally, you never find yourself there. But when the president is calling for it, and we've already seen like under nominally our most liberal president, a hyper-militarized fascist police response to uh, peaceful protesting, it, you know, it's, it, uh, it's prudential to, to think ahead about that kind of thing. And feeling... Well, I, I'm, I'm not like, I think that's a very understandable position to to hold, and I'm I'm not actually anti-gun to any appreciable degree, um, but I think one of the things that actually really stands out about why this demonstration, um, this series of demonstrations is more hopeful than um, other demonstrations that I, I support, like the armed anti-fascist demonstrations that have been happening for the past four years or so in the United States, um, in which you know leftists are also open carrying firearms. I'm. I, I have no problem with that. But the thing that is is um inspiring about this is actually it's it's largely unarmed character. Um because it it kind of reminds people that power comes from people, not the barrel of a gun. Uh it reminds us it's, I think that's why this protest has generalized to such a large degree. Um, you know, I, I had a friend come back from from Chile who was there during um a lot of the the tumult. And that I think is still ongoing. I unfortunately, you know, you get so caught up in some other crisis that you forget about these other crises. But you know, they came back and they were like really inspired specifically around how at the time when the US leftists were more and more starting to talk about um, you know, being ready to defend ourselves, which makes sense because our opponents are talking about killing us. Uh yet here's this demonstration that this series of demonstrations that is not Nonviolent. I'm not talking about like nonviolent civil disobedience or something, um, but it's not armed, and it, I think it has to do with the the nature of power and how firearms concentrate power into small numbers of hands, and how that has applications. Obviously, like I'm perfectly fine with the Nazis having been killed in World War II or whatever, you know, and I'm um, can point to many like Spanish Civil War. There's many times that I can say armed leftists were a good thing right um but i think that i think that revolutions aren't about seizing firearms i think revolutions are about seizing um agency over our own lives within these communities that we live in uh and driving out the police and driving them out with rocks is uh is fucking awesome you know um and so I don't even mean to say that as like a, a complete counterpoint, although I would say that um, I would not morally judge or even necessarily strategically judge anyone who makes a different decision. But I think that if um, if you face an army, uh, run. Yeah. Um, oh, I think okay. that <laughs> meeting force on force is not is never our strength. Like uh, the the tactically, I think that the police represent a um, a very strong force that is very slow to make decisions and uh, has very limited resources. And we see this in Minneapolis where they literally ran out of tear gas and eventually had to abandon things, you know? Um, and so our strength 
comes from numbers and mobility and decentralization and of decision making. And I, I think we need to to design our tactics to play to our strengths. I I definitely agree with that. My um so one, I think that these kinds of like broad tactical decision or uh, discussions about like how do we approach these things, how do we handle these things are um just very necessary to have in general because too often we let um a couple loud voices dominate discussions about that and mm -hmm. that doesn't really benefit all of us that's how we fall prey to things like sean king who's just a dumb <laughs> ra a racketeering piece of shit a profiteering piece of shit there we go um and i i i think that like you know, your comments there were like incredibly sober and like uh nuanced in the good way like uh like <laughs> there's because there's obviously there is bad nuance that does that in order to just like make it harder to talk about certain things that are already tough sure. to, like to be brave enough to bring up uh but the, yeah. but that was that was you the the good version uh my Thanks. only worry sometimes is that we have um it, it can feel sometimes like socially we uh, see people cleave on to the most recent tactic they were told is like sometimes the only tactic they have in mind as opposed to like you know obviously rank them something like standing your ground should not be plan a it probably shouldn't even be plan h it, you know it's more like trying to really strongly convey it's like say you're trapped in a building and they're opening fire mm -hmm. on you you're not going to be yeah. able to run away what do you do then um, but yeah, no disagreement with like, if you have the ability to not have guns fired at you, <laughs> take that option. That's a great option. Like it, the world doesn't have any benefit from martyred leftists slain by uh, police fire. That's nothing like there's that. That's only tragic. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. It, yeah. It, 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 it's endlessly frustrating to see specifically like liberal voices continuously popping up who are more more squeamish about the practicalities of like so you witness someone like trump and you witness something like militarized police and you witness something like the global uh imperial motive uh that capitalism is part of but not the entirety of and that racism is part of but not the entirety of and all, all this kind of stuff and then you think people can i i have a couple friends who like almost singularly believe in purely peaceful protest mm -hmm. and like more jokesterism kind of stuff. And I'm like, we did that all throughout George Bush Jr.'s presidency and we have 1 million Iraqi casualties. Like it didn't, mm -hmm. it didn't do anything. It didn't do anything because they don't fucking care. Like they are fine with peaceful protests because n that doesn't stop anything. Like it on, yeah, and it's it's not to it, uh it's not to say that it needs to be armed. Like as as you were saying, there's lots of different ways to show force, like to show like force of bodies, force of presence, and like force of community. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this is more like <laughs> this one isn't so much in response to you. I was just thinking again about the blue check. <laughs> no, 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 that makes trying, sense. trying to hand wave well, away I mean, everything. Well, I'm I'm thinking here of the the recent um, lockdown protests where totally opposite people total opposite politics, 
and lots and lots of guns were able mm -hmm. to basically do whatever the hell they wanted. And yeah, that's probably a big part of that is due to the police having the same ideology as them. And it would be a lot more difficult for this current um, protest if you know, they had a bunch, they had, they were outfitted similarly in tactical gear and uh, Barrett 50 anti-material rifles. But I mean, ultimately, I mean, I think I saw a tweet today from some, go I think the governor of Minneapolis saying like protests outnumbered the police four to one. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, if you add guns to the equation, four to one guns plus guns, um, there, there would become a point where the police kind of have to let the protesters do whatever the hell they want. Um, I mean, I think that that happens to some degree. I think that there is something about the right-wing protests where one of the reasons that the police are hands-off is that um, no one wants a shooting match. And I do think that um, game recognizes game. Like, <laughs> the, the state um, is willing to make compromises and, like, come to the table with people who can present force uh, in a way that they don't with people who they think that they can just walk all over. Um, I do think, though, that um, there's still a, um, a way of exerting power that large groups of armed people don't do right. Like, they... Um, Basically, I think that one of the goals of protests, uh, militant protests, is to increase people's sense of agency over their own lives. And uh, certainly in something like an anti-policing protest where, you know, police are, are the embodiment of lack of agency over our own lives. Um, and that becomes especially true. And you can see how the people with less agency in our society are the people that the police target, which in the United States is, you know, largely black and brown people. Um, also, all you know, people who are marginalized uh, economically or through disability or, or many, many other uh, means. But uh, overall, I think that we can say that that's a largely a race-based thing. And I think that it's you can't overstate the importance of racism on American politics. Um, shit, where was I going with that? Um, so I, I, I think that that helping people find agency is the one of the primary goals and it's I, I i don't think you can like i'm not saying that like i'm not saying it would be like a terrible thing to necessarily do arms but i i just i'm still really shy around um that as a means okay this is this is a comparison that no one likes when i make um and but i've been saying that 2020 is the year i'm gonna get canceled um so I think voting is like guns. I think guns are like voting. I think that the first, uh, the second amendment, the United States and voting rights are like really comparable ideas. Um, I'm also an anarchist. I'm not particularly interested in change uh, accomplished by voting. And I'm comparably not particularly interested in change accomplished by guns. However, I do think that because both of them are methods of exerting very small amounts of power, uh, when you're talking about the small arms that are available to um to civilians and or voting when there's uh corporations i think largely armed formations in an, any kind of offensive or even like taking this space or whatever away from a military force 
it is LARPing because um, we just don't yeah. have the training to uh, do crazy spec ops missions or we don't have, um, you know, large scale weaponry or whatever. Um, and I think that one of the dangers of that, of trying to enact change in that way is that it makes people think that this is a means by which to enact change. Whereas I, I, I if, if, if there's a version of a revolution where the military doesn't end up not wanting to shoot us and joining us, it, it won't happen. Um, I think, and, and maybe that's like horribly defeatist of me, but I think that a large portion of, um, of the armed forces would need to, to not want to kill us. Yeah. And, I mean, we've said on this show a, a, a whole bunch of times that anyone who thinks there could be a revolution, A, that would just start in the first place, and B, that would succeed in any sort of developed nation, is, yeah, delusional LARPA. Like, the, yeah. the United States has more, just picking one type of armament, has more mm -hmm. aircraft carriers than almost every other nation on the planet combined. It doesn't quite have over 50% of all the aircraft carriers active, but it's very close. Most countries have one. We have, I think, 12, and we're building two more, if I remember correctly. And that's uh, just the carrier. That's not talking about the planes. That's not talking about the bombs. That's not talking about the guns on the carriers. That's not talking about the guns that the people on the carriers can hold. And a carrier can hold a buckload of people. Um, yeah, like trying to get that through to some people who want to start doing tactical LARPing of like, I'm going to buy two handguns and I'm going to go. It's like, no, that's not. That's John Wick. Yeah, like there are they're, they're gonna be like the Viet Cong. They're gonna they're gonna like um in, infiltrate and they're gonna move amongst the population and uh you know they're, they're, they're gonna do guerrilla tactics. Yeah, I was about to say there's, there's long-term discussion of something like the viability of guerrilla guerrilla tactics, but that's also that's long term. We're like nowhere near there. And I, the other thing is you hope that it never comes to that. That's the like, that's one thing that, um, so I've talked a lot with, um, just like over Twitter with, um, Andy from Kaina, um, about the same thing. And his also, uh, drawing a lot from the British anarchist tradition, uh, that, and him also having a wariness of firearms and that kind of use of force as a kind of, uh, like, I don't want to say strong arm tactic because like, duh, it's a firearm, but like, mm -hmm. it, similar to what you were saying with like, it's it's a means of making one voice louder than another without it being an actual communal decision. Like it's not a community deciding something. It's one person with a gun. And even if they're right, that's a very different kind of thing. Um, that it's precisely one good thing to witness in people is like a lack of bloodlust. It's like, it's the fact that you can see in some people that like, there are certain things that you want to fight like hell to never have to even entertain, let alone do. Like, you want to have, you know, all these other options. That that's the exact same spirit that leads us to do things like strive for an end of oppression of the global south. Mm -hmm. Or um, strive for uh, broad, um, like, democratized and socialized healthcare, uh, not just within, like, communities, but, like, broadly over the globe because it's like American universal healthcare wouldn't mean much if we were still looking at like 
places in Central America and the Caribbean where uh, in Africa where we are uh, price gouging the shit out of common medical stuff basically to keep them <laughs> healed. Like going mm -hmm. like, oh, you don't want to sell us copper? Then we're not going to sell you necessary medical equipment and then your people are going to die of the flu. Um, which, which is a thing that happens. Like that's the biggest uh, issue with the Iranian... Um, uh, God, I forget what they're called. <laughs> I forget what they're called because I'm stupid. Uh, embargo. There we um, is it embargo? Um, sanctions. Sanctions. There we go. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you. You you got my back. Um, one of the biggest <laughs> arguments against the sanctions, aside from the fact that they're literally acts of war, um, is one of the things. One of the uh, articles of the sanctions is restricted sale of medical equipment, including things like common vaccines and common medications. So the rate of death of like working class Iranians who like are even whether whether they're uh, proud of Iran or not, that doesn't even fucking matter. They're just people who were born there and just like any working class mm -hmm. person anywhere in the world is simply trying to like live and provide a life they're dying of preventable illness because we decided that we were like huffy with uh m my other kind of hot take i get why they want nukes they are literally surrounded by other nations who all hate them and all have nukes some of which are backed by the u.s um and the west in general and so i can definitely like it's not that nukes are good nuclear weapons are bad i think that's like a pretty inarguable position um it would have been better if we never had in invented them um but you can at least hear in certain situations where it's like oh i'm looking at a map and all these people have very negative reaction or um relations with you all of which have nuclear weapons some of which are backed by the west and constantly make overtures of needing to destroy you because you are an existential threat like i can follow why that would make someone go we need to get something to make sure that doesn't happen. It's like, it's yeah. horrible that we're here. Um, and ideally we find like new nuclear disarmament uh, in general being a much better solution, but um, yeah, bringing, bringing that back to the, the point that generated it, that it's like, it's the same urge within us that makes us, like strive for those best of all possible solutions and treating them as like engineering problems. Like, no, we're not going to be okay. Like settling for like massive oppression and brutalization of these people because like, well, you know, I'm, I'm white and I get to have a decent middle-class life. It's like, no, that's unacceptable. Um, it's that same spirit that I see within people who are like, I can understand firearms as a tool, but I also want to never have to use that tool. And it's like, that's exactly the kind of person who ideally would be uh, talked to about this stuff, as opposed to the person who's like, you mean if I, if I become a leftist, I get a gun? It's like, no, leave. Like, go outside. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not. You know, when I say that I'm not anti-gun, I also, I mean, I, I, I'm actually really interested in the community defense model um, that, you know, has lots of different names with different personalities attached to it, like John Brown Club and Socialist Rifle, Rifle Organization and lots of, like, individual formations. Um, because I, everything I hear from the people that I follow who pay attention to these kinds of things is very anti-macho, is very sort of almost anti-militant, uh, despite focusing on arming people and uh specifically focusing on how community defense and self-defense 
are related concepts. And, um, you know, and I, I, I live in the South as a trans woman. I'm very sympathetic to, and I've been doxxed by Nazis and stuff. I'm very sympathetic to, um, so, yeah, no, I'm not like, I think it's, it's actually just from a like revolution point of view that I think guns are sort of nonsensical. Um, and, uh, I've been slowly more and more convinced actually that an apocalypse, I've always been like, oh, well, an apocalypse, they clearly make sense. And, um, I've become more and more convinced, uh, through conversations with friends who, who focus on this kind of work that actually, um, once again, and maybe even especially in an apocalyptic scenario, you don't want to really encourage individuals to have like such an easy access to power over other people, you know? Um, but I still, still at the end of the day, even if my main goal is to let people in and create a pluralist society and a pluralist movement, you know, I, I when I imagine post-apocalyptic scenarios, I don't imagine them to be uh, entirely peaceful. <laughs> Yeah, uh, to, to to put things mildly. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of not entirely peaceful, I think mm -hmm. we should play a bit of your music. Um, okay. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, like I said, this is uh, one of my favorite albums I've heard this year. Probably my favorite. So I think we've already played a song off of it on a previous episode, but whatever, gonna do it again. Um. Yeah, it should play. stop being so goddamn good if it doesn't want us to play it all this time, all this much. Just make bad records, right? <laughs> I've done that. Most of them are harder to find. Uh, no, I've I've listened to your uh, Nomadic War Machine stuff, and it's good. So oh, I'm pretty okay, sound on that one either. But um, I, uh, that was the first stuff that I listened to because uh, I'm a big old Deleuze boy. I uh, uh -huh. uh, the running joke uh -huh. is that I will. I will mention Deleuze once per episode. This is the one that counts, Gareth. Don't worry, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> I, I was actually going to bring up Deleuze. I think um, you, you ended up uh, cutting me off when I was about to bring up Deleuze earlier. I was <laughs> oh, about shit. to bring up his um, influence on the uh, Israeli Defense Forces and their tactics. Oh. As a possible model but, uh, but we'll save that for another day. <laughs> But, oh, uh, but yeah, we, we we love our Deleuze here. And I just, someone was like, oh, you like extreme metal and cerebral shit? Here's some like experimental stuff. That's And I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> like, I'm looking at the same, I'm in. But, What's uh, funny is that I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm clearly very interested in the Nomadic War Machine concept, although I, you know, named the band in 2010 or something. Um, but I actually think it's fundamentally false. I just think it's a really interesting, fundamentally false premise. Um, oh, I think to be fair, fair, he has a lot of stuff that I don't, that I'm not even sure he fully believed was like that all of it was necessarily true. He's more like yeah, the classic ideas man. Like, yeah, totally. Stuff, sketch I think out, it's really useful know. from that point of view. Like sometimes yeah. you have to create frameworks in order to understand ideas, even if your frameworks in the end don't work. You know, especially because like in the world of academia, just like a, a nutshell version of it is that we sometimes we even see this in lay space that calls for like more open and accessible um, academic work and the whole thing of like, if your work isn't accessible, then it isn't revolutionary. And it's like, that's mm -hmm. kind of true. There's there's a, a truth to that. But one of at least the functions of academia is that you can have people specialize and like don't worry about it being accessible, just generate ideas. And then you go to a second group and go, you sift through their ideas. And if something <laughs> seems fruitful, then start translating it so that other people can look at it. But that way we don't waste time with like, what if they have 
a really well thought out but ultimately bad idea that we're not going to try to throw that into public discourse <laughs> because it would be a yeah, fucking waste of time. What if the body without organs is the like key that gives us so uh, communism? <laughs> we will never know. Would, this is written by a mad <laughs> I I quite like the idea of the body without organs. I talked about it in an article about a uh, cannibal corpse because I mm -hmm. think it's pretty useful. I would be surprised if it gave us communism. <laughs> I've been trying to work on a, it's 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 just in my list of like clever names, um, which clearly is feminine school. Like I clearly like clever names. Um, USA. I uh, I was trying to write. I don't remember. Was a screenplay? I don't even remember. Called a body without organs, and it was going to be a, a horror story about someone who was so mad at all of the like anarchist news trolls. This was like 10, 15 years ago. Uh, that they started. Um, doxing them and then hunting them and then killing them in their homes but the the horror of it is that each time when the protagonist would open the door to kill this troll who said vicious horrible things about them um it would be someone that they've like known for like 10 years and like deeply respect or you know care about um and then they would kill them anyway um and that was my a body without organs uh plan um <laughs> I don't remember how I was going to tie it into the philosophical concept. I might have just been stealing the name. You know, Luffy from, uh, from One Piece is a body without organs. Don't even. No. I just, he's made no. entirely of rubber. He doesn't have organs. He's just a rubber you boy. Up the lyrics, you cannot bring up anime. You stole it. <laughs> yeah, whatever my head. Okay, we're going to play uh, Bury the Atlas with a stag with the stag <laughs> by Feminist Girl. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about anime or Deleuze ever again. Those are dead. It's Feminazgo.
was uh, Feminazgo playing Bury the Antlers with the Stag off uh, No Dawn for Men. Probably my favorite song on the record. Like, I, I love, like, the vast majority of the songs on it. In that I love all the ones that I'm looking at. That's all of them. <laughs> There's only eight songs. Okay, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, this, that's... Uh, that's why I shouted when Gareth announced that one because I was gonna be like, "Can we, can we play, bury the antlers or the stag?" Because that's so fucking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but my I, favorite. I, I know. That's... That that's song cool. was um the first song, uh that, um, Laura actually wrote most of the words for that song, and it was kind of a, a catharsis song, uh for her, and, and we recorded it. It was actually the first new song that we wrote for that album yeah i think it was the first new song we actually played it live a little bit back when we were still playing from the old album and but then we recorded the vocals of it sort of last after after we'd recorded the rest of the album and then uh and basically laura had completely blown her voice and i and was like i don't think i can scream anymore and i was like what can you do she's like i think i can shriek and i was like all right, here's the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I need you to shriek some lyrics. Um, and that moment of of her shrieking, bury the antlers at the stag is like, we, is like maybe the last bit of vocals that we recorded for the album. And we just like looked at each other and we're like, we have now found our like wraith queen screaming to her minions voice. Um, and we're pretty excited about it. So, oh, yeah, she's a phenomenal vocalist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so how how did this being like a solo project to it being a, a band? So I wrote the first album, uh, the first EP, uh, just basically like um, to deal with a breakup. I like tried to date a straight girl, which like doesn't really work out um, and often <laughs> happens to trans girls. Um, she's a wonderful person, but I, I you know, I, I left New Orleans heartbroken or whatever. And I, I came back to my like, I was living in a barn before I moved into the cabin and it was the middle of winter and I just was a fucking sad sack. And, uh, and I knew that I was going to write metal. I had been, I had worked on some of the songs like in various incarnations over the years, but I didn't know how to like, I hadn't really figured out how to make synthetic, um, synthetic guitar that really worked for me at that point. But then a couple years had gone by and I was a better music producer. And so I figured out how to make synthetic um, guitars and actually synthetic vocals. The first EP is entirely synthetic vocals. Um, oh, yeah. The only thing that's uh, an actual sound that wasn't made by, comp- by my computer is the, the rain uh, sample that's on that album. Um, and which I, I put in because I'd been listening to rain on the steel roof of where I lived or whatever. And so I recorded that and I was just like, no one's going to care about my like three song EP that I wrote in two weeks. Like, you know, I, I was always struggling to get people to to listen to my other bands. Right. And uh, I didn't I kind of underestimated one how much the metal community is a community uh, and two, um, how much a clever name, how far it'll get you. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Or maybe that it's like really good music or whatever. But um. I mean, and, and I'm free that, like, at the time that came out, like, anti-fascist black metal was having a thing. That was like, yeah, many the other timing was, was, yeah, timing was great. Yeah, which I didn't even know. Like, I don't even know if I'd heard Don Raid at that point. Um, and 
because I, 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 I've been around metal for a long time, but I've always been very peripherally around metal until feminine school, actually. Um, you know, like 10 years ago, I went to lots of shows, um, but I, I mostly just like listen to black metal when I drive now, you know, or something like that. Um, well, not now, now I'm more actively involved. So I recorded the EP uh, and I knew I wasn't going to play any shows because I was like, I am one person with a guitar and a harp and, um, you know, I don't even make the vocals on this. Uh, and then I met Laura and, you know, our first conversation was about how there's clearly no Nazis in Valhalla. And I was like, okay, this person's pretty cool. And she, one of the things I've run into over and over again in metal is that there are these incredibly talented women who have been entirely overlooked uh, mm. as, and, you know, it, it's incredibly talented musicians like, you know, when I first met Laura, Laura was like, well, I've never sung black metal. I, I do death metal. And I was like, well, can you do black metal? And Laura was like, yeah, okay. And, you know, I don't remember how many months later, but we started playing shows together. Um, and, and so the band is still, you know, we, we, um, we make decisions for the band together. Uh, but musically, it's, it's um, I write all the music um, and I write most of the words. And then Laura, um, uh, does what I cannot and um, imbues them with uh, with emotion and meaning and, and screams them. Um, and I think I needed that or there probably wouldn't have been a second Feminine School um, recording. You know, I, I think I, in terms of what I could do entirely on my own, I think I kind of like said what I needed to say, even though, again, like the music of, of the full album, um, I, I wrote all of. Yeah, I mean, like I said, just absolutely phenomenal album and a huge like leap above the the first one was really good. That this is like absolutely leapt into hyperspace. <laughs> Thanks. And um, so, so what what's it about? Because uh, yeah, like the first one had that whole like misandrist black metal thing, which was which was mm. cool. Mm-hmm. And but um, this this seems more cohesive, like full full throated and. More yeah. developed, like not yeah, not different necessarily. Just like more d- rich. There's more. Uh, I love the word crenellation. There's more crenellation. <laughs> it's yeah, there's, a castle, there's definitely more but... to it. Um, good. I'm glad people can stand behind my album with bow and arrow. And uh, um, you should have cut armies uh, murder holes into the uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We can stand inside of the castle by the murder holes so that we can fire arrows through them. <laughs> <laughs> while being safe from opposing arrows. Okay, that's good, because I also don't know how to pronounce the word portoclis. Portoclis? Portoclis. Portoclis. Cool. Yeah. I know um, all my castles. Yeah. <laughs> well, I read a lot about them, but I never spoke about them, because where I'm I live, there are no castles. Um, yeah, I love a castle. You have castles and giants and shit over there. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, I, Alan yeah, Moore I once did, told I me in an interview that you all still have, Americans think you still have giants, and I thought about that, and I was like... Yeah, no, that's that's basically true. Yeah. We have a Cern Abish giant. Yeah, uh, Google um, the uh, Cern Abish giant sometime. It's a, it's a good what Cern, uh, Cern Abyss, which is spelled C-E-R-N-E space A-B-B-A-S. It's, okay. a, um, it, it's supposed oh, to be like yep. a Neolithic um, giant. Oh, shit, like he's an got a huge got, Yeah, he's got a huge <laughs> oh, shit. He, He's hung like a, yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's hung like he's an a old world guy. guy. All but, over um, the belly for him. <laughs> Good for that giant. 
Yeah, that, that was like um, 20 minutes from where I grew up. So, that's correct. That's, uh, that's amazing. They'll give, give you a, a bit of a complex. <laughs> so the new album um, is, is not about this guy's dick. Um, but um, I'm looking at it now. Uh, I can't look away. Um, so it's it's largely so we both realized that we wanted to sing more directly about mythology and but largely it derives from a mythology that um i and some other of my my friends work with um which centers around a death goddess named ia and it basically is a, a way of like kind of understanding um understanding that we're temporary and learning to take power from the fact that we're temporary and so this kind of like instead of viewing a, a a goddess of death as this like negative entity like even sort of almost it's not even like a satanic negativity it's not a like we revel in the evilness or something but instead it's this like no this is this is um where beauty in life comes from is from from rot and from decay and um and from the fact that we're not immortal um is is what imbues our life with meaning and you know i can tie that in easily with my obsession with lord of the rings which obviously comes across in the name um because i think one of the things that's discussed is the concepts of immortality between the elves and humans is one of the more interesting sort of sub themes of the whole series um yeah. i mean the second track is called i pity the immortal yeah so. it's also like the most uh, depressed of the songs you know it's definitely um uh it's like it's it's not really like what is it dsbm or whatever um but it's like not not that i definitely was like um uh not in a real happy place when i wrote that song um but but yeah and, and the first song is called ia the mother of death and um is basically an invocation to to bring her in um it was designed for when we play live which who knows when it's going to be right now um quarantine and all that um but it was designed to to open a show with with ritual um because by the end of our our, our shows before we were um we were incorporating ritual into our shows and and i was really enjoying that and i think that it black metal spaces are actually like particularly good for that mm. um so yeah that's what the album is about the album is about the beauty of um i mean it's timed sort of like awkwardly well where i wrote all of this most of it majority of it i probably wrote in november and december and you know finalized recording in january and february and it's just, it's about death and it's about rot and it's about how temporary we all are um and about taking strength from that and and it came out right as all this shit happened mm. um you know and as everyone was getting ready to accept death into their lives you know that's like a thing that we don't quite talk about when we talk about covid we talk about our own safety we talk about the safety of the people around us but on some level it's also about this like mass acceptance that like we probably know people who we care and about and love who are going to die you know yeah um, i mean there's even the processing of the communal trauma of in what what was it about four months now a hundred thousand dead like yeah. even even if we don't know them just that notion of yes i <laughs> i'm i'm vibing very hard uh, with with what you're saying yeah <laughs> and i write about all that shit because i'm like i don't technically identify as a coward 
because I think bravery <laughs> is a thing that happens when you are afraid and you do things anyway. And so by that standard, I am the bravest person you're ever going to meet because I am afraid a lot. Um, I'm a very anxious person. Uh, see my full quarantine. Um, and and so I, I write about all of this stuff because I need it. You know, I, I write these these spells not because I'm these this like all powerful witch or something, but instead because like I, I fucking need this. I, I actually literally um, when we didn't know, you know, the first couple weeks when we were just like, is it already here? Because we knew it had like at least a five to fourteen day wait period, right? So it was like, is it already too late? You know, is it whatever? And I needed to go get shit i actually needed i needed to go to my studio and get like my piano and my harp and things like that um and i like listened to this album to work myself up to be strong enough to be brave enough to like go out into the world back you know like and which is like sort of bullshit right because everyone else is to go into the world constantly and shit but it's like it's where i'm at yeah i remember when this whole thing kind of first started i remember tweeting this is different this time isn't it because it wasn't yeah. going to be like sars or the swine flu i mean I, I had the swine flu and managed to write up my whole master's dissertation during it while quarantined because you Whoa. just it was fine yeah it wasn't it wasn't as bad as a regular seasonal flu i was okay yeah. but uh yeah it, it turned out to be just different this time and yeah. like I'd go to the store every day because um, I just live around the corner from a quite good supermarket and it would just, there would be like no pasta on the shelves one day, the next day no toilet paper, the next day no rice and just reporting back to my family every day on like, yeah, shit's yeah. different this time, isn't it? It's really different out there. It's um, It's a weird thing to be living through, isn't it? Yeah, it's not the world that I got used to, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, but yeah, but then again, the, the all the the stuff I do every day is just the same. It kind of has to be. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was working through the first few months. I wasn't in office, but I was at my desk typing mm-hmm. stuff on the computer and making powerpoints like an idiot. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then in in Britain, at least, it's just kind of gone back to normal. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of places aren't open, but uh, schools are opening next week. Pubs will probably come shortly after, and um, yeah. And I see things from the US, and there's like swimming pools full of people and beaches full of people, and yeah, it's it's everything is uh, yeah. Just want to sit down and watch uh, Hypernormalization by Adam Curtis like ten times in a row because that explains everything. It's, um... it's, it's infuriating to a great degree. Um, one in general, but two specifically as an American, because it's as though I, I think anyone who blames like cultural attention spans on social media is just a fucking idiot and ignores that like cultural attention spans have been short, literally for the duration of human history. Like we just can't focus for shit on anything. Um, but the idea that we're it, like, it's one thing for me to be upset with um, the governmental forces of, of the UK, mm-hmm. of the US, who definitely want, and the colluded forces of capital, who definitely want us to reopen because they don't make money uh, extracting surplus labor value from our work if we're not working. 
Um, mm -hmm. And they get more surplus labor value to extract if we work and who gives a shit if we die um, because they're nihilistic pieces of shit. Like if they cared about the long term, there would be a push even amongst capitalists to mitigate climate damage because mm -hmm. one, even on a crass end, there's a lot of money to be made developing that technology and implementing it. And two, it would protect them long term. They clearly just don't give a shit because um, they're like, I won't be alive to see it. And I'm a self-centered nihilistic piece of shit. But it's been frustrating and a massive like taxation on my ability to empathize with people uh to witness the so obviously we're all frustrated and anxious with everything that's going on and i think that in general the push for more like open trauma journaling about this of just like not holding people to the standard of if you talk about your experience of covid you have to be having the worst experience in order to talk or you need to be the most insightful. It's like, no, there's a value to just people admitting, I don't know what the right answer is and I'm stressed and I don't, mm -hmm. it rattles me. It's like, okay, that's, there's, you can build, because you can build a communal response around that. You can build a sense of community around a, the shared experience and the shared question. Um, but then almost like watching people get, tired of it and people that i know who should know better being like i mean they're nearby and you know they've they've been isolating so i can go visit these these people and trying to it's like you know it's not going to stop there you know that it's not going to be like oh yeah, I'm just, yeah this is just for one thing and it's like it's then going to turn into like well i did that one that wasn't so bad so now i'm going to go over and measuring that against the fact that like every epidemiologist and statistician is like yeah if we reopen there's going to be a second very big spike like bigger than the first spike mm. and i'm like we're already sitting at a hundred thousand dead in america like i don't i mean obviously i don't have an answer to this it's just it's just frustrating it rattles my brain like about it feels like about 60 percent of the time i can hardly string a sentence together in a way that makes any real sense <laughs> You're doing all right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm going through. <laughs> this is going to make everyone feel sorry for me. So, get out your violins right now, uh, Margie. You actually have a violin, so you could do this. Um, <laughs> actually, it's not. I have a bowed sultry. It's not done yet. But okay, the, well, the violin okay. that was on the album was someone else's. Yeah. Okay, borrowed violin. Oh yeah, that was a uh, Meredith Yanos. Uh, yeah. But um, okay, so uh, I lost my job a little while back. Um, it's hard to find a new one. I've been trying. I've had interviews. I may hear back about a new a new one in a couple of days. Uh, the other, a few about a week ago, I complained to my landlord about this leak that we've got from the upstairs bathroom into the downstairs pantry that's causing like brown mold and these like weird fungal growths to grow in like my kitchen where I eat. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, then I got an email back yesterday when I was taking my son out to a lake to. Uh, like look at nice things and swans and so forth. Um, I got an email saying that uh, I was my the landlord had decided to evict me rather than um, well evict my entire family. Oh my god! Rather than deal with this whole um, <laughs> plumbing situation anymore. So uh, so I've got two months possibly. I, I'm working with like Acorn and people to extend that hopefully. Um. But yeah, so they basically gave me a two-month limit to get out. And like 
the government has said that schools are reopening next week, uh, June 8th. So one week from uh, tomorrow, Monday. And I don't have enough time right now to look for a job. Neither does my wife. My son has special needs. He's very um, difficult to look after. You can't mm -hmm. just like work and look after him. You can't. So I'm put in a position where I need a job because otherwise I'm not going to find a new place. No one is going to give a, a house to someone who doesn't have a job. Mm -hmm. uh, I will have terrible references from my existing landlord already, so I need to look really good. So I've got to potentially put my son back in school just so I have enough time to look for jobs and to do right. interviews and stuff like that. Which, which means could, you have to put your kid's yeah. life at risk and your family's life at risk. Exactly, which means, yeah, I'm putting my life, yeah, I'm putting his life at risk. I'm putting everyone he uh, goes in contact with because for all we know, he may be one of these asymptomatic super carriers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I could be too. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going through like total Sophie's Choice moment where um, landlords and capitalism and such have forced me to maybe kill my kid. So, uh, yeah. Violins now, um, really yeah. fuck sucks. Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's uh, it's been a rough few weeks, but um, yeah, that's just that's just like, and that's probably not the worst thing that could be happening. I might haven't lost any family members or friends or anything right now, so knock on wood. But um, yeah, it it's just fucking sucking for me right now. It's um, yeah. Uh, I, I would really much prefer to be living in the cabin in the woods right now. I know you probably have, you probably, when you like go to the bathroom or whatever in a, in a pit or whatever and wipe with a leaf, you're probably thinking the opposite, but it's much preferable to uh, private renting at the moment. Well, it's funny because like most of the time when people are like, oh, I wish I was in your situation right now, I want to be like, you have broadband and a shower. Leave me alone. <laughs> but, uh... I'll, I'll take my setup over yours right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. You have um, broadband. You can be fine. So it must be okay. Can't be that bad. I have a so I have a cell phone booster that's attached to the outside of my cabin. Basically, as an antenna that runs through across the other side of the cabin. And the only and so if I if I put my cell phone immediately against the repeater and then tether to my computer, I have enough internet to uh, chat. Um, <laughs> but you know, um, when someone signal calls me, uh, it's a crapshoot, you know, because mm -hmm. um, then my phone isn't immediately next to my report. Now that you've explained the <laughs> circumstances you're dealing with, my, my limited internet does not feel um, violin worthy. Yeah. Um, and uh, you, you're missing nothing on Netflix as well. So you know, <laughs> very little going on at the moment on Netflix. Nothing good. Oh, oh, no, I, I lied. It's that Epstein documentary. That's probably pretty good. But um, yeah, otherwise, pretty bad. Who I mean, the gospel was wild. No, okay, we, we're going to do that on a, on a Patreon show because, yeah, I, I, I had thoughts about that. But uh, no, and I, yeah, I can follow having thoughts about it. That's why I chose the word <laughs> wild. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wild, all right. But uh, yeah, and, and plus, I, I entertain fantasies about leaving behind the internet like every moment. Uh, yeah, the internet has sense. totally done a number on my brain. I, I think it's caused ADHD in me. I remember being very able to concentrate as a child. And since getting the internet, I, I cannot. 
And um, so, yeah, I, I, I fantasize about moving out into the middle of nowhere a lot, but I can't do it because I'm in uh, Britain. Um, yeah, you have to be pretty rich to get anywhere that seems like the middle of nowhere there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's a few islands and stuff you could possibly get on unless someone else has done it already. But the middle of nowhere is like maybe an hour's walk from maximum from civilization, like a big town or city. Yeah. It's, you can't really go to the middle of nowhere. There is no middle of nowhere here. There's no nowhere. I feel yeah. relatively charmed <laughs> with all of... <laughs> Uh, with everything that I've just heard, and uh, for for comparison, I have uh, like a a mild chronic lung problem due to being uh, exposed to mold for a prolonged period of time due to a. I may have one too now. Yeah, and uh, my there was a, a wet stain that was molding directly over my bed, and the landlord wouldn't do anything about it. And then it turned out that it was a um a sewage line backfilling into the space between the apartment above mine and then mine. Oh my god. I soaked through all of the insulation and uh, was starting to soak into the uh, the ceiling. And then that was molding. Um, and they had to, after like half a year of that, they finally cut it open and they had to drain uh, doo-doo water out of the space directly above my bed. Uh, and they did that with a literally a series of garbage bags that they taped to the hole in the ceiling that then went into a five-gallon paint bucket. And anytime they flushed, my upstairs neighbor would flush their toilet, it would sound like a galloping horses as their doo-doo water would filter not into a pipe, but into a paint bucket in my fucking bedroom. <laughs> it's like, whenever they flush okay, their could be worse. piss and their shit with just the land next to me. <laughs> and then people in masks and fucking hazmat gear would have to come in and take it out because they're like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a biohazard. And, I was, and then my landlord was like, hey, we feel bad for this. We've knocked $100 off of your rent for this one month. And I was like, I'm going to fucking <laughs> blow my brains out. And they were like, you might do that, but the people who uh, signed on your lease will have to cover the remainder amount, and that's your mom. And I was like, this is a dystopia. Um <laughs> So now I have lung problems due to the amount of doo-doo and pee-pee water that I had to huff for that period. And so COVID uh, is scary. Mm, yeah. I imagine. I so, routinely vomit so. foam. That's, that's a fun thing. Uh, apparently it's non-harmful. You can just sometimes develop uh, body problems that make you throw up white foam, and it, it doesn't mean anything's wrong, which is weird. The body sucks. Your body is not fun. Relatively speaking, technically, I'm the one on top right now. <laughs> I'm What's funny is, like, is <laughs> when I think about, like, all the DIY, like, because like, in my head, because I've, I've never lived more than, like, a year as an adult in, like, a stable house or apartment situation. I, like, was a squatter traveler for years, and then I was, like, living in a van, and then, you know, I had one year where I lived in a house, and then I moved into a barn, and now I built a house or a cabin. Um, so I have this utopian idea of what it means to, like, have an apartment where everything just works, you know? You just have, like, a fridge that's, like, full of food. I don't know how it gets there, but there's just food there, and, like, there's just a stove, and you can just... And so, because, like, I've every piece of my fucking cabin like i i went without hot food for a week because i um 
let's go with did not successfully follow the instructions long term. Okay, so you know how like propane devices always say um, uh, leave this propane like burn out all the extra fuel in the line once you turn off it all, turn it off at the tank, and everyone ignores that and just leaves fuel in the line. Well, it turns out you have to um, you have to follow that, or the regulator breaks, and then it just pumps propane into your house like in a pressurized jet. <laughs> um, and that was entirely my fault. I have no landlord to blame here. I, I built every fucking aspect of this house. Um, so that was my, it's a, you know, and, and so I, I'm like, I hate plumbing. I just wish someone else was doing it. You know, um, I'm terrified that the same thing's going to happen with my like pressurized water line on my sink. And I'm like thinking about adding a whatever. This is not my off grid podcast um but I like... which you do have and i haven't mentioned yet you are you are a member of the the international brother slash sisterhood of uh, podcasters now oh it's true podcasting. although and i i didn't have enough electricity to question. do it um, um i only now finally have enough electricity to start my podcast again <laughs> I, I, as someone who's who completely takes electricity for and internet for granted i i find that idea really charming that's that's a really <laughs> beautiful idea not having enough electricity is something i've never experienced in my life like maybe yeah, it becomes I've really interesting many to... games consoles into the plug so i can't plug in my phone charger or something that's a <laughs> that's a problem i i literally went and got a nintendo switch because it uses less battery than a computer and my anxiety was video games are like one of my main anti-anxieties um and i was like i i need skyrim and I'm willing to go out and buy a really expensive gaming device because it plays Skyrim and barely uses electricity. Um, you are one of the only people that will admit to liking Skyrim. I say admit wow. liberally. Huh. Everyone likes Skyrim. Skyrim. I do not believe <laughs> people are like, oh, Skyrim. oh, I hate how, why is he releasing? He's releasing it on everything because it's fucking good, you piece of shit. <laughs> and everyone's played it for 500 hours you don't play 500 hours of a game and you're like that's fine like yeah <laughs> it's like, one of the best anti-anxieties that's ever been developed like i'm what, mostly what just annoyed because things, it's, it's like the, one of the only like cultural phenomenons that our entire generation like several generations all share we all yeah. know skyrim like if i start going if i start doing the theme tune that everyone joins in that's just skyrim <laughs> I love how deeply angry I get when I'll be in Skyrim just bipping and bopping through a cave or whatever. Then I'll hear, shh, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And then a big icicle one-shots me. I'm like <laughs> level 98. I'm in like super enchanted armor. I still die in a single fucking hit to one icicle. Like nothing can kill me except icicles. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. And, like, and someone's like, why are you yelling? And I was like, ice wizard. <laughs> ice OP. <laughs> They need to nerf ice. <laughs> Abolish ice. Thinking about that. I'm so angry thinking about this fucking... Because I'll just be chilling. I'll be like, oh, it's a bunch of mud crabs. This is cute. No, there's a little crate. There's two gold. Oh, this isn't that. And then just shot in the head by an icicle dead. Mm -hmm. I love that you're describing it like the way that when I play a first-person shooter, my experience is. <laughs> like, wow, look at that pretty architecture. Why am I dead again? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, you can always play Fortnite. There's no pretty architecture there. It's for, it's for babies. I played <laughs> Fortnite once. I won instantly. Uh, Fortnite is for babies. And um, 
yeah, that's all I have to say on the subject. Well, so and I never get to play these games because I, uh, for certain, don't have enough internet for gaming. Um, you know, which is a, probably for the best at the end of oh, yeah. at the yeah. end of the day. I'm annoyed that I can't, um, you know, ever. I've never played Fortnite. Um, I don't, you know, I don't play first-person shooters online. I haven't since like the late '90s. Not because I'm like too good for them. I'm actually really shit at them. It annoys me how bad I am at them. Um, but just I haven't had regular internet at all, except for like a couple months here and there, you know. So. I know you go into this probably a great, great deal on your podcast, which people should listen to because it's really good. But how how feasible is it to just run out into the middle of nowhere and build a house and live in it and enjoy a, a basic quality of life where you're not like kind of medieval peasant kind of level? Um, you basically have to think about each system. So in order to reach medieval peasant level, um, you need shelter and shelter of course you have to build um and you know assuming you have access to uh i think i probably spent about three thousand dollars building my 11 by 11 cabin um that's tall enough for a loft it's an a-frame um it would have been a little bit more expensive it was if it wasn't an a-frame and i would have had to have a little bit more architectural knowledge uh the architecture of an a-frame is very hard to defeat because it is a triangle um, and is very strong. Um, Triangles are strong. And I'm not experienced builder. Goku is is incredibly strong. Triangles too. Sorry, carry on. Um, Out of Goku, it would never fall down. (laughs) Unless you told it that falling down was a kind of fight, then it would fall down on purpose. Yeah. I have no idea what Goku is. You ever see Dragon Ball Z? Okay, okay all right. Okay. So we have um, <laughs> on our hands now. Margaret, do you want to join a church? It's called Dragon Ball. Z. <laughs> I probably do. I usually end up liking whatever these weird things are. Oh, um, you will that are like actually very normal. Yeah, um, it's great. So, so you have to build a, anyway. Carry on. You have to build <laughs> shelter, and that gets you your medieval peasant level of living, um, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, hard but not Mm -hmm. impossible by any stretch um you want to insulate it uh insulation matters a lot at least as much in the summer as the winter um and but then every step of it pretty much solar power is the only off-grid system that is if you're somewhere where you're the land that you have has access to a spring and especially if that spring is like up a hill that's behind your house then you can talk about doing DIY uh, hydropower. But functionally, for most purposes, solar is kind of your only game um, in terms of any kind of affordable solution. Um, and you need a fair amount of solar power if you're going to be using any kind of like modern devices. You're pretty much, certain things are just pretty much going to be off limits on a off-grid, on a small-scale off-grid power situation. Um, you're probably not going to have an air conditioner and you're not going to have an electric heater and you're not going to have an electric stove. Like things that just take fuck off amounts of watts that we, again, don't think about the wattage that various devices take. Um, Having a desktop computer is actually substantially harder than having a laptop um, by, you know, several hundred watts. Um, 
And so you're going to need your, your solar, you're going to need uh, your water system. I currently basically have uh, about 100 gallons, which I don't know what translates to in um, the normal world that doesn't use gallons. Um, I have two big barrels full of water, and I use that for my shower, and I use that for drinking and um, for washing dishes. But I have to filter that water. Uh, it comes from a neighbor's well. I basically ran a hose like 500 feet to a neighbor's well. They know about it. They're fine with it. Um, but it doesn't stay attached. I just fill up these barrels every now and then. Um, other people do rainwater catchment, and that's brilliant. Other people get a, like, if you have money, you can get one with a well with a septic system um, with lots of other sort of amenities. Um, but if you're doing it all DIY, you're probably going to end up with a rain barrel and you're going to have to filter the hell out of it before you drink it. Um, and you're going to think about the water you use when you take showers and wash dishes. You know, it's um, basically everything becomes uh, a resource that's harder to come by. Um, I use propane for my heat. I would not recommend it. I would recommend that you build a chimney and get a wood burning stove. Um, Fuel is easier to come by, and it also dries out the air. If you live anywhere with any kind of humidity, you a wood-burning stove is a, a much better system. I just don't have room for it in my tiny, tiny house. I hate the tiny house movement. Um, <laughs> it, it just annoys me. Never move down to a tiny house. If tiny house is a step up, hell yeah. But even if you're getting a cabin in your middle of nowhere, you don't want to live on three meters square you know you by three meters by three meters or whatever um you you actually want to live with multiple rooms um one of the things that becomes really interesting while living in the like not wilderness but you know nature is constantly trying to get into my house um is that the the separation between inside and outside spaces becomes like incredibly important and you know having any kind of like like if if I built it again, I would have a covered porch. Uh, it would be very hard for me to incorporate a covered porch, unfortunately, with the way that I built my house. Um, and I just have a regular porch. But a covered porch is an incredibly important space to take off your wet clothes before you go into the house. There's just like, there's so many things that we run in. It's not just power and water and like the resources we use, although that's absolutely true. Um, but yeah, and, and it's funny because I actually don't like one of my whole things is that I, I kind of run in my life um, because I more or less have to because it's how I live. So I might as well enjoy it um, and I might as well find it beautiful. And I, I also chose it. Um, but but I also try not to, I kind of try and fight the like, you know, before this, I used to hate van life. I lived in a van for six years. Um, and, you know, there's always like these like happy, smiling white couples like surfing every day or whatever living in a van and it's like yeah like when i lived in the pacific northwest my everything molded constantly and i had like incredible problems because it was impossible to dry the air in my van um you know and um it's basically a really good way to appreciate civilization um i i think constantly about the things a civilization offers that I don't have, or the things a civilization offers that I do have that I'm incredibly grateful for. You know, the during the pandemic, because I, I built my life around um, not having a pandemic. Uh, I don't know if that's been your experience, but I just <laughs> yeah, decided many to, when I was a kid, I didn't think I'm going to one day have to live entirely by myself. 
Oh, I live as though I'm constantly beleaguered by illness and malady. (laughs) I read a lot Um, of dicks growing up. (laughs) Um, So the first time I took a shower, like a hot shower, was a month and a half into the pandemic. Because when the pandemic hit, I just started pouring all of my money and time into making my bedroom. Because I built my life around, I have a studio in town. um, There's communal space on the land I live. And I have a bedroom that is beautiful and meets my needs. Um, but all of a sudden, this one small space had to meet all of my needs. And so I completely retrofitted. I, I built out the loft and moved the bed up there. I had to buy a different size mattress. I um, had to build a, a stove and a sink. And and um, just to be overly personal about the way that life can be, um, you know, I, I started having a lot of uh, fungal problems uh, on my skin because um, you're supposed to shower on a reasonably regular basis. And I kind of used up all of my um, my like nine lives of um, hygiene when I was like a cross lord travel train hopper kid, you know. Um, so my body is really quick to be like, "Oh, really? I'm just gonna like grow some weird rashes over there now." Um, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, and so and so I'm sitting there and I'm like, and it it it's, it can get bad enough to to be serious problems, you know. And I'm like, well, the solution is I have to wash my clothes every day. How do I do that? And I need to wash my body every day with soap. How do I do that? Um, and so I, um, I was scrambling to, to stay one step ahead of this. And, um, and when I finally, to build a shower, I had to get a rain barrel. I had to get a hose to fill the rain barrel because I live up a very steep hill and I'm not hauling it up 10 gallons at a time. Um, and I had to install a hot water pump, and I had to install a solar panel system with a battery in order to charge that pump, uh, to run that pump. And then I had to install a propane on-demand heater that is a shower device. Um, and I didn't even build a shower stall. The, the shower is literally just like attached to the front of my house. I just stand on my porch. Fortunately, there's no neighbors immediately nearby, you know? Um, and... I just I started fucking crying, laughing, uh, a month and a half into isolation when I t- took the first shower. I felt like you know those moments in um I <laughs> I watch really trashy movies and shit, right? Um, I don't remember if it's the book or the movie. Um, the Save Matt Damon on Mars movie. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, save Matt Damon, that's saving Private Ryan. Then you said on Mars. Right. I was like, yeah, yeah. That I waited. I've read the book and seen the movie, and I can't remember the name it, of it. It's The Martian. The, the, Martian. the Martian. And, 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 and you know, I, I felt like him, you know, when he like <laughs> first, I don't know, grows food or whatever, and he's running around to light. Whereas in reality, I'm far more like um, Thoreau. Uh, which is to say, like, right near civilization and being fed by people bringing me food. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, in this case, it's the male person bringing me food, you know, but um, the mail carrier. But so that's when you're when we're not in pandemic, off grid life is, is really beautiful. It's a really good way to disconnect. But it's um, I would recommend building it up before moving in um, if you have any choice in the matter. Yeah. Well, I don't. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's good then but um yeah and um sorry what was it I, i've forgotten now the the name of the name of the podcast it was uh yeah so i actually have two podcasts um because i do constantly obsessively a million things and then f- 
let them fall to the wayside way too soon. Um, I have one podcast I've been running for about a year called We Will Remember Freedom, and it's a, a podcast of anarchist fiction. Um, that oh, before the pandemic was just me buying stories from other writers and then interviewing them about their stories after a voice actor reads the stories. And then I started another podcast, um, perfectly timed, except for the fact that I live off grid, called We. Um, oh, where's my brain? Um, live like the world is dying. Mm-hmm. Um, Good title. Which is a which was a prepper podcast. I basically was like, all right, like, what does it mean to be a community focused? Um, prepper and to, to live like we might be in the end times um, and I, I put out four or five episodes of that um, in pretty rapid succession and then uh, and then this thing hit and the first thing that happened is the the studio not my studio which doesn't actually have internet um, but the the studio space I was using is a different podcaster in town a bedroom uh, to record interviews and um, someone who lives in that house is immunocompromised so they were the first house around here to basically be like, you can't come here unless you live here. Um, and so I stopped being able to do interviews. Um, I should be able to do it now, basically starting this week. Now that I'm like, I'm looking at the green light that says my battery is my, my solar battery is full. You know, um, I finally have things hooked up enough that I think I'll be able to start them again. Anyway, that's the name of my podcast. Live like the world is dying. It'll resume um, normal functionality. I'm hoping within the next month. And yeah, it's it's damn good. Um, you were very kind enough to answer my question about solar panels, so <laughs> it's automatically a good podcast if you <laughs> involved in it in any way. Um, so yeah, I think um, we're coming up for time here. But so after we got to do the standard question of what what are you putting out next? Is there more feminazco coming? Is there more nomadic war machine? Is there more books? Uh, you know, so. I'm hoping to keep my record. So Bandcamp Friday is next Friday. Um, I don't know when this podcast will come out. Um, like now, four, basically. Great. So by next Friday, I've, I've, I've somehow managed to put out something on the Bandcamp um, every month for Bandcamp Friday where they, they waive their fees, um, which they started doing about two or three months ago. Um, first, it was the, the New Feminine School album. And then um, I think I had Nomadic War Machine. Um, I, I really lose track of time. Um, I basically talk to lizards. <laughs> anyway, um, so I, I'm hopefully going to finish a Nomadic War Machine EP that'll be um, a little bit poppier and a little bit more like Fever Ray. Uh, Fever oh, Ray yeah. meets Chromatics, maybe. Um, nice. well, that like I have three or four of the songs done, and I'm going to add at least one more. And hopefully that'll come out. It'll probably be called um, Are, Are We Not Monsters? And um what else and so i'm working on a book um it is way past deadline and if you're listening and you're my editor i swear i'm working on it and like i'm not even lying um but and as soon as the pandemic started i was like i'm gonna get so much writing done and i got so much writing done and then it wasn't even electricity thing it was a morale problem pretty much um i'm i'm writing a a a piece of um tie-in fiction for the the role-playing game freeport it's a it was a pathfinder setting um and it's a pirate it's like a pirate utopia that kind of went to seed and is no longer so pirate or so utopian um and it's a fantastically interesting universe i'm so used to building all my own universes for everything i do that at first i was like a little like oh no i don't get to just make up everything constantly but the thing about this world is that i was like okay they hired this like trans woman anarchist 
they're gonna get some like crazy shit right um it's still gonna be i try and write like accessibly or whatever you know because that's the style of reading i like doing but the ideas in it um are certainly going to be radical um and and i was like how am i gonna you know shoehorn in these like radical leftist groups within this world and then i'm reading the game book and i was like oh no they already have like four different incarnations of this like built into the system <laughs> um which i hadn't seen in a dnd it's not dnd it's legally distinct from dnd um <laughs> high fantasy uh derived it's all derived from michael moorcock we pretend like it's from lord of the rings but it's all from michael moorcock um a michael moorcockian derived fantasy world um and and um and i'm actually mostly working with the existing stuff within it um and i'm writing a novel that uh, originally was going to come out this fall and um there's a chance that that'll still happen but it'll be out at some point um yeah that's the those are some of the main things. I am working on New Feminist School, but very slowly. Um, and uh, another Volgarite EP is probably in the works. Volgarite is my my solo Doom project that I started while I was impatiently waiting um, to record Laura. Uh, so I, I started doing my own vocals instead of synthetic vocals um, on a Doom, Doom metal project called Volgarite. Um, and I'm also, and this is the thing that um, will be the strangest result of my quarantining is I am building instruments and writing a language and I'm going to write a neo-folk album of prayers to fictional gods using instruments that I make. <laughs> in, in a in a conlang. I'm no, sorry? In, in a... Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Language. Yeah, yeah. Um, I only have one verse so far written of one of these songs and one of the instruments is done and three of them are um in progress i'm having trouble with uh the humidity the humidity mm-hmm. is keeping the finish on my instruments from drying um everything is just harder than it needs to be <laughs> if i had air conditioning i would not have this problem yeah, on the other hand if i had air conditioning i probably wouldn't be writing a, um, an album of fictional prayers to fictional gods on instruments that i'm I mean, you've kind of solved the problem of whether neo-folk is fash by um, just making nationalism for a country that doesn't exist. So how can it be fash now? It can't. So that's, it's a good approach to um, solving a problem. Yeah, that's actually always been my, you know, um, you know, I have a, another existing neo-folk project uh, with, um, uh, with uh, someone named Jack who lives in Montreal. That also is kind of on hiatus because of um, we were planning some tours for this summer, that of course are not happening right now, um, and I miss songwriting with them. Um, but it, it, part of that was just a kind of like, well, it's not going to be fast when I do it, <laughs> you know. I really um, love the idea of ultra nationalist neo folk for Tlone Ukbar Orbis Tertius. <laughs> was that kind of libel? Isn't that kind of their thing? Is that they make fun of nationalism by having created a fictional country and then being like uber nationalist, but they're like actually very actively trying to take the piss. I did not know about the fictional country part. I mean, I I had a friend who was more into them. And so like, I, I've heard a lot of their stuff, but I didn't know. That'd be tight. I, I only kind of peripherally keep track of it. I couldn't tell you the name of the country. I have friends who are like, this is my passport to this. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. It's really <laughs> weird. Um, I'm more of a metal guy, so we do we have guar for that. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, guar mythos. 
And um, I loved Guar in in two thousand eight. A metal magazine asked a bunch of metal bands um, who they were backing for the presidential election, and you know, like you could, most people were like uh, Obama or whoever the fuck ran against Obama. I don't remember his name right now. Um, and and then Agalock, who I guess have since turned out to. I don't know the details. I don't want to say anything wrong, but Agalock, who was more left at least, um, was like, "We demand the abolition of all political systems." And then Guar was like, uh, "We advocate impaling all politicians on giant wheels of oversized knives." <laughs> and I was like, "They they win. That's that's the best answer to this question." Um, this actually the uh, the Agalock thing had a happy ending. So I'm I'm Facebook. Friends oh, good. Please with some of the yeah, members. Tell me about it. So without getting too deep into it, so obviously all of the other members aside from the guy who said something pretty gross and anti-Semitic were like, we strongly disavow what this guy just said. The group's already broken up, so don't worry about punishing us or anything, but we don't support that kind of thing. Right. They were all still in contact with each other. Like the, the split was about as difficult as the split of any long running band tends to be like, you know, a lot of, you, you know, you invest emotionally into that. It's not an easy thing to call it a day on, especially something that's very acclaimed and has been around for over a decade, but mm -hmm. they still are in contact. So, <clears throat> um, two of the members actually basically just like got lunch with the guy and were like, look, we want to explain to you why. And like their, their drummer is of Jewish heritage. So they, they were like, we need you to really recognize that what you said is not just generally harmful, but like it directly harms people that you know and care about and like really grasp that. And apparently he was very receptive to that and then like profusely apologized to them. And the way that they conveyed it was like it was in language that wasn't just I'm sorry for having like hurt people I care about. It was like, mm -hmm. I should never have done that. That was just That's great. Yeah. And so they were quiet about that because they were like, it shouldn't be about that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But they were talking about that on like their private Facebooks just for them and not. So I, I have no reason really to doubt the um, yeah the veracity of that because they weren't trying to like make money off of it. They were like, we wouldn't feel comfortable trying to like pump that out so that we can sell more copies of our records. They're like, that's not the point. Like the yeah. point is that our friend did something fucked up and we pulled our friend in and we're like, Hey, John, shut the fuck up. And he was like, Oh <laughs> shit. Fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that is a happy ending. And I'm, I'm glad for it. I, you know, I, yeah, I both believe <laughs> very strongly that we need to be able to criticize people for doing harmful things. And also that we like, whenever possible need to be able to let people grow yeah. you know they that they had demonstrated that praxis of like we're going to give an honest shot to try to explain to him what he did wrong and an honest shot at him yeah and then and then he he did it like you know because they don't always obviously but he did um unlike the fucking guy from amoebics i'm never going to get over that yeah. <laughs> that blew my mind right like we like, had basically an entire episode devoted to like what the fuck like amoebas <laughs> him <laughs> yeah like that I mean it's funny because I'm not even like a huge amoebics fan but the song Nights of the Black Sun I had this like moment like newer you know in that context I'm probably like reached that age where I'm like oh their new album and someone's like 2002 and I'm like I was an adult it's new um but um. Yeah, I'm like, this is one of the best anti-fascist songs, you know? This is like a fucking anthem, you know? And then 
Yeah. Mm. Lord. And he gets yeah. into Alex Jones. Yeah. And uh, all that follows. But um, we should cap off this episode with, yeah. I mean, we could we could play some more hem- Femi Nazgul. We could even play that Amoebic song. Well, I don't know. But um, <laughs> we could play more Femi Nazgul, or we could play some Nomadic War Machine, or we could play whatever you like. Your your, your choice, dealer's choice. Uh, do you want to play a Volgarite song? Absolutely. I love um, Volgarite, so that makes sense. Let me... I... I name all of my songs very random, obscure things. If you know the songs, you should pick one. But if not, um, I don't know. So I, my brain doesn't know songs. Um, we have album titles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Fear not the dark, nor the sun's return is the album title. So yeah. we've got what curse comes this way. His words are void. They will fall, and a decade of prophecy. If you want something heavier than they will fall if you want something that's a, a little bit more melancholic uh, a decade of prophecy uh, uh so, 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 since we're ending on a happy note let's go heavy okay so that was day will fall yeah okay so we're gonna play day will fall uh you at home are gonna listen to it because it's gonna be really good and you're also gonna check out margaret's uh podcasts plural because the, the new having a podcast is having two podcasts. <laughs> um, literally, like everyone's getting a second podcast nowadays. It's weird. <laughs> I can, I'm barely managing one. I'm thinking um, about consolidating. But um, yeah, it and um, check out her books. Uh, I, we barely mentioned her previous fiction. So go back in previous uh, episode. We did, Mar- did with Margaret. I did that myself. And um, yeah, read up her books. They're really damn good. Um, and you've probably and listened to her um, invented language uh, ultra nationalist for a, a country that doesn't exist project. It's going to be internationalist, not ultra nationalist, but still. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it should be nationalist for a country that doesn't exist. I think that'd be, I think that'd be funny. But, we're, um, we're just editing it. <laughs> well, and, thanks um, for having me on the show. No problem at all. No, no, thanks for coming back. Um, you, I think you're the only person. Let me see. Oh no, no there's been there's been a few repeat offenders uh, here. So we know. Um, yeah, you're, you're part of a small and uh, elite uh, cadre of oh, people who've been on the show twice. So yeah, we're gonna play out with that song. Uh, come back next week because we're gonna be talking about that Charlie Kaufman book that I mentioned earlier. It's gonna destroy your life it's such a bad book um, and then after that we'll maybe talk about some good books or we'll be dead who knows yeah either or there's no yeah. way to tell and um so anyway here's uh they will fall by volgarite